It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things have been made, and apart from Him nothing's been made that's been made. And in his life, and that life is the light of the world, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth sent from the Father. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloecha, Bechol Lavavcha, Uvechol Nafshecha, Uvechol Meodecha. Say those words with me in English, would you please? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The very words of God. Last week, I invited you to join with me in a kind of a study of the Shema. It is the foundation, a foundation text for our Jewish friends today and for our ancestors in the past. The way I recite it to you is my attempt to say it in Hebrew, and I would think when Jesus said the Shema, it probably sounded very much like that. Now the Shema is to the Jew what John 3.16 is to to the Christian. It is, it is a text of texts. It's very dangerous to lift one above the others, and I do not mean to do so. But nevertheless, the Shema, John 3.16, there is so much. I didn't say this to you last week because it's more appropriate to teach it this week. Did you notice in the Shema that it begins with, hear, O Israel. This is something that we say not to God. This is something we say to each other. And this, what do we say to each other? And it comes in this order, because there are three parties involved in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, party number one. And then Jesus added it, to that, those words from Leviticus, and love your neighbor, party number two, as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've been thinking and reviewing my time of teaching, I've looked at the Shema and I've looked at love your neighbor as yourself and I realize I realize I probably owe you an apology because I really haven't talked much to you about as yourself. 
We've done a lot of teaching to understand who is God. We've done a lot of teaching in terms of neighbor. In fact, if you were to pull people to list three parables that Jesus told, they probably would have the parable of the Good Samaritan in there somewhere. It's one of the best known parables. Parable of the Good Samaritan, parable of the prodigal son, uh, but the parable of the good, and neighbor. It's a story about who is my neighbor. And truth be known, I've kind of avoided as yourself (laughs) because I've always kind of felt that was the realm of psychologists, psychotherapists, psychiatrists. And I'm a theologian. I'm not of those. And don't pretend to be. But then this week, I was impressed. Maybe it was the working of the Holy Spirit that before there were the disciplines of psychotherapy, psychology, and psychiatry, there were theologians. <laughs> I mean, theologians predate them. It doesn't, I, don't, I do not mean to, to, to denigrate or respect less any of those disciplines, but it just seems to me that those disciplines, our theology is not necessarily built on those disciplines, but those disciplines are built upon our theology. And what is theology? Theology is the study of God. The study of God. So when I look at as yourself, it's not necessarily how I view me, though that's important. Low self-esteem is a dangerous thing. But high self-esteem could equally lead to arrogance, as low self-esteem can lead to depression. So when we have in the Shema, hear, O Israel, you've got to have an understanding of God. And we've talked a lot about that. We've got to have an understanding of neighbor. And we've spoken much about that and will again. But I'll go so far to say today that I'm not sure you can have a good understanding of God or a good understanding of neighbor unless you understand yourself. Not yourself, not how you see yourself. Yourself as God sees you. As God has created you. It's God's vision. It's God's call. It's God's destiny for you. And exactly what is it? Well, I've decided and was been led to a passage in the New Testament. The Brit Chedashah in Hebrew, the new, the new Covenant. And as I was led to this passage, I've been overtaken, as I've never been overtaken before, with a sensitivity to the context in which this passage was written. The passage I'm about to share with you was written at a time of great persecution. Now, scholars debate, was it written before the persecution? Was it written during the persecution? In my opinion, it's kind of a distinction without a difference. You know what persecution is. Persecution is when the world around you is on attack against you. Now, I'm not sure, as I've studied and looked at and watched documentaries of of World War II and the horror of the Holocaust, 
if our Jewish friends would say before concentration camps and during concentration, when does persecution really begin? It seems to be a distinction without a difference. I'm going to share with you a passage of Scripture that was authored through his son in the faith, Peter, but these are God's very words from the pen of Peter, but from the heart of God. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Jesus Christ has been revealed. And as obedient children, don't allow yourselves to be conformed to your evil natures of the life that you lived in ignorance when you didn't know any better. But just as he who called you is holy, then let everything you do be done in holiness. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. The words of 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. How do I love my neighbor when my neighbor is attacking me? It's one thing to have a Samaritan on a road who's damaged. I can just pour my love on that one. I have to get through some boundaries. But brothers and sisters, that's just the start. There'll come a time when you and I are called to love our neighbors when we're under attack, when we're persecuted. So open your Bibles, would you please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, there's a kind of sanctity of the Scriptures, but there's a kind of sanctity of 1 Peter that just moves me. I want to look at this passage, and I want to move through this passage. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. And I'll stop along the way. Therefore, says Peter, or God, through his son Peter, prepare your minds for action. That, that idiom, prepare your minds for action, literally, in the King James American Standard is translated as gird your loins. <laughs> gird, your, gird, your, gird your minds for action. This idea of girding is, you know, in the ancient period they had these long flowing robes and they had a belt. Now, those long flowing robes were quite comfortable. Um, I, 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 in the Middle East, my, my friends in Egypt have bought me a couple garabinas. Garabinas are those long robes that um, uh, uh, Arabic men tend to wear. And I have several at home. I'd uh, be happy to model them for you sometime. Um, so, but in the ancient period, they had ropes, and, and they're good, they're cool, they're comfortable, 
except, except when you have to do something strenuous. So what you would do is you would take these robes and tuck them into the belt, and then your legs would be exposed and you'd have much more mobility. You could, you could, you could do things. So it's preparing. What, what, what Peter is saying here, what God is telling us, he says, listen, listen, what you're about to do is going to be strenuous. What you're about, what I'm calling you to do is all uphill. There's, there's no downhill. There's all uphill. How, how, how you are to live in a time when you're under attack and to live such a way that these items that are, are, are set for your destruction are set to break you, only serve to make you stronger. Those things that, those things that are coming at you that threaten to, to extinguish the light inside of you only serve to make that light shine brighter. This kind of living is owned. You've got you to gird your mind. You've got to prepare. Well, what does that preparing look like? Well, Peter tells us. He says, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. In other words, there are things coming at me that are attacking me, and if I'm not onto the thing, the tail's going to wag the dog. And soon my life is going to be nothing but one big reaction. I'm going to react to this person. I'm going to react to this situation. I'm going to react here. I'm going to react there. And, and what God is calling his people to is a people who we should never react to anything. We should always be proactive. That's to be self-controlled. In fact, I've shared this with you before. I find myself, I don't get it always right, but I find myself, if I'm in a situation where I find myself reacting to something, and I could be as right as rain, but if I don't have love, I could have the tongue of men and angels, but lose. When I feel myself reacting, I pull back. I call a timeout. I only want to be in things that I can be proactive. To be proactive is to be self-controlled. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking back at my days at Trent University. For, my, uh, for seminary, I, I achieved, I acquired a, a Bachelor of Arts degree in classical history, which fits well in the ministry. Good, good fit. I had friends who were getting Bachelor of Science. And for you scientists out there, you'll smile and say, yep, that's right, that's right. I remember one night, we, wanted, we were all going to go out for a bite to eat, and I said to one of my friends, hey, you coming out, coming out with us? He says, no, I can't. I got organic chemistry tomorrow. Now, organic chemistry, I never took a course in organic chemistry. I think I would be overwhelmed by the thing. Organic chemistry tends to be one of, at Trent University for the BS, uh, Bachelor of Science students, one of those courses that would winnow people out. In order to sustain organic chemistry, you have to be self-controlled. You have to be self-controlled. For me, it was Greek. For me, it was Greek. Greek was a hard thing for me to learn. But I had to be self-controlled. To achieve anything, to be involved in a struggle, requires self-control. And if I find myself in a place where my self-control is being threatened so much that I'm starting to react to things, people of God, pull back, time out. In preparing and girding your minds, Peter is telling us, 
be self-controlled. But he's telling us more than that. He's saying, look, at, look what it says there. Place your hope. Set your hope fully on grace. That grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So let me get this right. I, I, I got the uphill of preparing my mind, girding, girding the loins of my mind. I, I, I got the self-controlled. But you're telling me to set my hope on grace that will be mine when Christ is revealed. You're telling me to set my hope on a grace that I don't have access to right now, but it'll be mine sometime in the future when Christ is revealed. See, faith is sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. Understand, when Peter writes this to Christians who are undergoing Nero's, Nero, um, Nero's persecution, he's writing it to people who are enduring a kind of hardship, and they hang on because they understand that theirs is part of a larger narrative. They're understanding that they're standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before, and they themselves have shoulders, and they're trusting, somehow they're trusting, on a, and they're getting grace. But the grace that they're hoping for really won't be theirs until it's time. And that's why I think Peter says the third thing. And he says, as obedient children. As obedient children. Don't allow yourselves to be conformed to the evil desires in the life that you lived in ignorance when you didn't know any better. Don't be drawn in don't be reacting to. Don't repay in kind the way you did before you knew Christ, the way you did before you committed to him. Don't, be, don't, don't, don't do that because it'll be like a dog returning to its vomit. It'll be going back to ways that didn't work then, that brought you and destroyed you and them too. Listen, this is hard work. You have to gird because it's all uphill. You have to be self-controlled. You have to have discipline. You have to put yourself to things that will build you, that will strengthen you, and those things are hard to get. But in getting them, you become more. And on that journey, obey, obey. Turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, inasmuch as it depends upon you. Resist being drawn into these disputes. Which brings us to the verse I want us to study this morning. And that is, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy as I'm holy. See, that's what God's calling you to. 
That's God's vision for my life. That's our destiny. Our destiny is to be holy as he is holy. Now, what does that mean? What is it to be holy? Well, the Hebrew word for holy, some of you will know, is the Hebrew word kadosh. And the word kadosh means to set apart. The word kadosh means to separate. That's the idea. When I was a little boy on the farm, I had school clothes, barn clothes, and Sunday clothes. And Sunday clothes were only for Sunday. They were kind of holy unto Sunday. They were set apart for Sunday. So to be holy is to be set apart, to be different, to be different. And God is saying, I'm holy. I'm set apart. But, But when God says that he's set apart, he is set apart in a way that he's altogether different. That God is, that God is transcendent. That, that God, is, God is in time, but he's not of time, he's infinite. That, that God is exalted, but an exaltation that, that, that blows our minds. That God is altogether different. God is wise but not wise like you and I. His wisdom is a holy wisdom, holy other. God is powerful, but his power is wholly different, altogether different. God is love, and his love is a holy love. It's not like our love. Now, our love, we have people who love a little, we have people who love a lot, okay? Now, there are these people who love God, they just barely know him, There are these people who love God, but the way God loves is way over here. God loves like at the top of the scale. No, no, God's love doesn't even come on our scale. It's an entirely different scale. It's above any of our loves. You can't even begin to imagine God's love. Wisdom. We have some people who are this wise, we have people more wise, and even people more wise. And some people think, well, God is the most wise on the scale. No, God's wisdom is a totally, it's holy. It's an entirely different scale. I am holy. When Peter says, in quotes, be holy as I'm holy, he's referring to a statement that's repeated five times in the book of Leviticus. Be holy as I'm holy. Be holy as I'm holy. Be holy as I'm holy. So if God is holy, and if that's what holiness means, how can you and I be holy? I mean, does that mean we're exalted? Does that mean we're all powerful? Does that mean we're all knowing? Of course not. Of course not. When God calls us to be holy as he is holy, He has a way of teaching us that in Scripture. What he means by that. Now, in the Scriptures, um, we learn in the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath day holy. Because God created everything in six days, but he rested on the Sabbath day and made the Sabbath day kadosh, holy, different, set apart. So there are things in a fallen world that are holy. One of them is the Sabbath day. 
On it, you're not to do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your ox, or your donkey, or anything that is or stranger within your gates. Nothing. Nobody's to do work. Why? Because we're supposed to spend the day to God, with God. In the scriptures, we're also told that there are certain items that are holy. Uh, in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. All the implements that are used in the worship of God and the tabernacle, later on the temple, are all holy. And what you're supposed to do with those things, once they wear out, you don't throw them away, you bury them because they are used in the worship of a living God. They are holy things. In fact, did you know in Leviticus it tells us that what you put in those plates is holy? Your tithe is holy. Your offerings are holy. When God calls us to be holy as he's holy, he teaches us what that looks like. Not that we're all-knowing, not that we're everywhere present, not that our love can be kind of like his love, though we try to be. What it means for us to be holy like God is holy is that from these passages of Scripture, the things that are holy are those things that are devoted to God. The day, devoted to God. The implements in the tabernacle, later on the temple, devoted to God. Our tithes devoted to God. Now, if you can, if you can grasp this, if, 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 if you can re-listen to this message later on and, and, and think much about this, because this is so important. Do you remember that passage in Isaiah 55? That's that passage where God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. If you and I can grasp this sense of holiness, this sense, and what that means is, is what God is telling us to be holy, not all-knowing, not omnip all omnipresent, but what he's calling us is to a kind of holiness that he is holy, and what he means by that, in my opinion, is a devotion. God is devoted to you. And that makes you holy. Devotion. Be holy as I'm holy. Do you realize the moment that fruit was picked, the moment it was consumed, that, that God had set, and arguably even before that moment, God had set his entire being. He devoted himself entirely, which is saying a lot about God, to bringing us back. And no one has a scale for that. Now listen, if you can catch this, if you can pray through this, if you can think through this, if you can begin to live into this, do you know how this passage ends? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. If you can get this, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. You will have a kind of shalom. You will have a kind of shalom in a chaotic world where your enemy is your neighbor, and your neighbor seeks your demise. He's not lying hurt on the side of the road. No. You're under attack. That's what holiness looks like. That's what it means to be holy. So let's bring it home. You know, Peter wrote this 
God spoke this into the church at a time when the church was under great persecution. Now that for us is a word. But we're starting to feel it a little bit. I, I remember um, I was, Beth and I watched this movie on Netflix, I forget the name of it, but it was about a Jewish girl who was being head, hidden by some Dutch people. Some of the Dutch people hid, hid her at the cost of their own lives. There were other people who hid her and profited by turning her in. That's what persecution does. Persecution is a great test. I'll never forget that one time, it was a number of years ago, and I can't really remember the context in which I heard it, but I, I'll never forget that time I heard someone from the persecuted church asking, don't pray that the persecution goes away, pray that I would bear up under it. I think of my friends in Madaba, Jordan, my Christian friends, with tears in their eyes, pray for us, George, pray for us, because Islam was pressing in hard against them. And when that pressure comes, it puts us under great strain. I feel that strain, maybe not to that measure. Maybe it's an overstatement, but I feel that strain right now. I feel that strain in our congregation with the COVID crisis. I feel that strain in our congregation with the political world that we're in now. Because if you allow your opinion to be, de to, to be determined and how you live be determined by the media, then you can take no prisoners and we cannot be together. Because you and I understand that we're a holy people to the Lord, that we're devoted to God, that we're, what holds us together is not our political parties, but what holds us together is we're sinners saved by grace. That's what holds us together. And on some level, because you're still here, you understand that when you're with your people, because you see what's going on in the movements today is they want to isolate us. They want to make us into tribe. All the, all the progressives over here, all the liberals over here, all the conservatives over here, and, all, and, and to separate, to separate, to separate. And the devil smiles when we, when we, when we, when we don't use that principle of tongues of men and angels but have not love. And otherwise, we don't talk about those things until you can talk about them in love. Now, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about in love. We could talk about the text. We can allow the Holy Spirit to soften and season our hearts and to mature our minds. And here's the amazing thing I've been thinking about this week. What an opportunity for the gospel. Okay, so you're at work. Everybody knows pretty much where you're going to vote. I don't know. I don't care. But they're going to come to you and say, you know, are you a Christian? Yeah. Where do you go to church? Holland Heights. Holland Heights? That conservative church? I know people go to Holland Heights have Trump posters in the yard. Holland Heights? That liberal church? I know people who have Biden posters in their yard. And then you have it. That's the venue you were in. What a wonderful time. It'll blow them away. You say, oh yeah, I know. Some of my best friends are conservative. Some of my best friends are, are liberal. But you know what? What holds us together is that we're Christians and we're sinners saved by grace. Do you have any idea how the Holy Spirit can use that to change lives, to knock them around, sanctified subversiveness, I call it? Do you have any idea? Do you know the opportunity that we lose? But you won't get that. You won't understand this unless you understand 
that in God's view, you are to be of another sort. You are to be holy. 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 Paul would write, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor another above yourselves. Because you set your hope on a grace that you may not experience right now, but you know it will be experienced when Christ is revealed. Because you have set yourself to be self-controlled. Because you have a vision of holiness, of oneness. I think the evil one is breaking the church too easily. We're stronger. We're better than that. We're a holy people serving a holy God. That's what the incarnation's all about. Do you think do you think we'd have Jesus when everybody agreed with him? No. Jesus didn't consider glory something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He put himself in the fray. He also said, if they, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. Why? Well, there are times when we share the gospel with people who are alongside the road and they need a helping hand. And I don't mean to disparage or demean that at all. But we're also called to share the gospel on the front lines in the war zone. As ourselves, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your strength. Be devoted. Be devoted to him. You know why? Because he loves you with all his heart, all his soul, and all his strength. He gave Jesus for you. This holy God says, Now go out and love your neighbor as yourselves because you're to be holy as the God who loves you is holy. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.